Hello, everybody. Welcome to After Hours, the podcast. We are presented by People's United Bank. I'm Stephen Godwin. I've got Jemai Webster hanging out with me today. How you doing, Jemai? What up, what up, what up? What's going on? Yeah, uh, happy to be here. Uh, I don't know if I should be revealing that that we shoot this in the morning, but I certainly just woke up, but that's not going <laughs> to stop me and keep my energy going. I'm looking forward to, to what we have today. I guess I, I should get into some of that, shouldn't I? Yeah, yo, you should, for sure. There's yeah, a lot so, going on. Uh, I've got my coffee, so if you got, you know, oh, something to keep you going at least, Jemai. You can't see that, but they can certainly hear this. Uh, iced coffee all day, every morning, but yes. um, today a lot to discuss. Most importantly, we're going to we're gonna hit you with some Red Sox news. Uh, this is the day that summer camp begins, which is interesting summer enough camp. to say. No longer spring training, 2.0. Absolutely. We're, we're uh, our good friend Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe is going to be with us in just a minute. Um, we love that guy. Can't have enough of him. Um, we're going to also talk about uh, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker on sports being played without spectators. Get into that conversation. Plus, uh, part of what's going on in our country right now, the shifting of consciousness and to make sure that people aren't being offended by things. The Washington Redskins facing a lot of pressure right now in regards to their sponsorships, mainly FedEx right now, asking them to change their name. So uh, we're going to dive into that conversation as well as uh, hit on the big news that happened basically at one Patriot place. The fact that they signed another former MVP as one walked out the door talking about Cam Newton um, and his impact and what's been going on there. Uh, plus much more. So stick around. Yeah. Yeah. Lots to talk about. No doubt. Um, just, it, it seems like that news with Cam and the, penalties that were given down with the videotaping incident it, it seems like forever ago but that was literally Sunday so it's just wild how how news happens and how it feels like it is years ago months ago it's just it's such a weird time right now um in the pandemic but let's get right into it uh, baseball is back at Fenway the guys reported to camp summer camp on Wednesday today Friday is the official first workout of summer camp and with that, we welcome Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe. You're at Fenway right now. Go ahead and set the scene for us. Tell us what it looks like because it's uh, there's a lot of changes being made. Yeah, this is this is something different. They, the Red Sox are working out in shifts. So right now, as I'm watching, there's only six players on the field, all the catchers, and they're taking batting practice. So there, there's nearly 50 players on the roster, but I think a lot of the guys uh, are in places where we can't see working out uh, under the under the stands or in the batting cages somewhere else. They're using a lot of the space at Fenway Park as workout space, whether it's weight rooms, batting cages, places where the, the pitchers can throw. Uh, and there's only going to be a certain number of guys on the field uh, over the course of the day. It's going to be a long day for Ron Renneke and the coaching staff. They're going to be here all day. The players are going to come and go. And just as I'm watching the field right now, uh, Hyam Bloom's on the field talking to Dave Bush, the pitching coach. Ron Renneke's in the dugout. Uh, catchers are taking BP. Not too many people in the outfield. And, and very eerily, the only people in the stands are photographers shooting the practice. So uh, it's, it was weird coming up to Fenway today. We had to wait in line, uh, get our temperature taken. We had a form that we had to fill out about whether we had any symptoms of COVID-19. Uh, we had to get uh, credentials. Our, our normal season credentials don't work. You have to get daily credentials. Only one person is allowed per outlet. We're all sitting six feet apart in the press box. Uh, and all the press box windows are going to be open no matter what to keep the circulation going. So there's, uh, it's, a, it's a much different scene. Um, as somebody who's been working at home since March 13th, uh, I'm happy to 
I was happy to get up today and, and go to work like a normal person. I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about the uh, press box windows being on. We can hear the wind in your microphone right yeah. now. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying. That's why I put my earbuds in. I'm trying to make it a little easier. But it's, um, yeah, and, and I was told uh, even if it's raining, they're going to keep the press box windows open because wow. uh, one, of the, one of the things that Major League Baseball is very uh, adamant about is they want everything as much as possible to be done outside. So if the Red Sox have a meeting before the game, it's going to be in the outfield. If the pitchers are having a meeting before a series, it's going to be outside. And so um, I think you're going to see a lot of guys talking into their gloves, you know, and try to keep the other team from seeing what they're saying. Uh, but there's going to be, yeah, they want everything to be done as much as possible outside. What's the mood like out there? Optimistic? Or are people just chomping at the bit to be playing again? Or is there a little bit of un uneasiness when it comes to COVID-19? Yeah, I've, I've talked to a couple of players the last couple of days, and, and I think they're glad to get, be getting back to playing ball, but they're also kind of just wondering what it's going to be like. What, you know, how are all of these procedures going to be working? Like I was talking to Mitch Moreland, and he was saying, like, he, he's chewed sunflower seeds every big league game he's ever played in his life, and he, he can't chew sunflower seeds. And as I was talking to him, he was driving up. This was a couple of days ago. He was driving up from his home in uh, Alabama, and he's like, I've gone through three packs of sunflower seeds on this drive, and, like, when I get to Boston, I'm going to have to quit. And so it's, it's just stuff like that. I, I think they're, they're comfortable that the team and the league are trying to do everything they can do to keep the guys safe, but it's just getting used to all of these different things. And, um, you know, they've been told they prefer them not shower at the park. They want them to go home and shower, you know, just things like that, that, that they're not used to. So it's going to be, um, and, and baseball players, like you guys know, they're all about their routines. It's, it's 162 games. You, you show up, you do the same thing every day, and that's how you have your success. All of those routines are out the window now. Precisely. And, and you used the word that I picked up on here, Pete, where you described it as eerie at the ballpark. Obviously, uh, you explained the setup, you guys being six feet apart, but this is certainly going to change how you cover this team and the access that you have. Uh, what are your plans as far as how you're going to bring your readers uh, some more insights that you're not going to be normally able to get considering uh, having to keep the distance from these guys? Yeah, I, I, that's a good question, and I wish I knew the answer, to be honest with you. I mean, a lot of what I do is, you know, we get in the clubhouse three hours before the game, and you get a chance to talk to players individually and, uh, you know, ask them, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one questions and, and what they're feeling. And I, I've tried to build up relationships with a lot of these guys. I, You know, I've probably covered, you know, more games that Jackie Bradley Jr.'s played than anybody else. And, and you know, the same is true for, uh, you know, I, I've seen every big league game, practically Matt Barnes has pitched. You know, I've known these guys for a long time. And you feel comfortable going up to them in the clubhouse and saying, hey, you know, what's the mood of the team? And what are you guys thinking about this? And, and now I won't really have a chance to do that. You're hoping that, you know, guys will answer text messages or, or direct messages on Twitter or whatever. And you're also hoping that the, the teams, not just the Red Sox, but you know, all of the teams are going to make guys available to us, you know, whether it's on phone calls or whatever. There is going to be a lot of Zoom and, and group sessions, but hopefully – and I think it benefits everybody. It benefits the team. It benefits us. It benefits the fans. You know, we'll have access to guys. And I think more than ever, we're going to be interested in what they're thinking because of everything that's going on. You told me a little bit a couple of days ago that you've really looked into how the EPL is doing their coverage. How yeah. has that helped you when you're, you know, making these changes to your workflow? Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I've, my whole career, I've, been, I've had access to players, right? Every, I, you know, I, I walk in the clubhouse and I, I talk to them after the game. But in Europe, it's, you know, you don't really get that kind of access. And uh, when we went over to um, England a year ago, 
a year ago last week for the Red Sox Yankee series, uh, there was some English writers sitting in the row where we were at, at, at West Ham Stadium. And they were all kind of marveling at the idea that we could go into the locker room after the game and talk to the players. They, they couldn't get over that. Uh, and I was asking them, well, what's the big deal? And they said, we never do that. And I said, come on, you must do that sometimes. And they said, we, we might talk to the players in person once or twice a year. And so it, that kind of piqued my interest. And I started reading some of these guys. And, and they write almost like from a, 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 you know, they're their own source. Like they write from a place of authority. They write about what they know about soccer. And, and they kind of almost project what the player was thinking. Like they'll see a goal and they'll say, well, you know, Sadio Mane knew that Mohamed Salah was making that move or whatever, which they don't really know that, but they, they're guessing it based on body language. So it's, um, I think, you know, for all of us, it's going to be a challenge to kind of write in a different way and, and still write something that hopefully people are going to want to read. And even for the announcers too, like, you know, Jerry Remy usually is in the clubhouse three hours before the game talking to the players. Um, he uses that in the broadcast. He's not going to be able to do that. So it's just, it's for all of us, we have to find a different way to tell the same story. Yeah, shout out to the Rim Dog who, who on a seven o'clock start is usually at the ballpark about eleven o'clock walking. No, I mean, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, but there's value to that though. You know, like I mean, he, you know, those guys know him and they trust him, and he might say something at eight o'clock that he found out about at two o'clock. You know, exactly. and you know that that's that's not going to be there anymore. Yeah. Yes, certainly. Well, this I mean, twenty twenty has been a challenging year from all angles. It seems like for everybody. Uh, but you think about the job that. Heim Bloom kind of walked into and the challenges that he faced with the Red Sox uh, sign stealing scandal, losing a manager and now facing this coronavirus pandemic and having to put together a team and, and manage this. How do you think that he has been doing in handling the virus, assembling this roster and getting these guys together and ready for summer camp? Yeah, I had a long conversation with him a couple of weeks ago and, and I was kind of joking with him, you know, what, what's the next thing that could possibly go wrong for him? You know, I mean, you know, Alex Cora has to go. He's traded Mookie Betts, Chris Sale, you know, blows out his arm. Then there's the coronavirus, you know, it's been like one thing after another. Um, I think he's, you know, he's a smart guy. I think he understands that this is bigger than any one team or any one person. He's trying to do the right thing. Uh, he was also moving his family from Florida to Massachusetts during all of this. I mean, so I, I think he's, you know, just trying to take it almost day by day and okay, today we have to, you know, move the batting cages under the concourse. Okay. Let's take care of that. Tomorrow we need to figure out who's on the roster. And uh, it's, I think for him, um, he's trying to do what's right for today, but also think about what's right for this team as, as a program long-term, because that's why he was brought in here. So it'll be interesting to see how he, how he uses the roster, you know, as much for trying to win games now and, and prepare for the future. Do, we, do you anticipate a lot of changes? I mean, when they uh, unveiled their roster, they didn't have a full 60 man. They, they still had like what, 13 spots available, 12, 13 spots available. Uh, how much change do you think we can expect over the next coming weeks, especially with what they're dealing with, with the coronavirus? Yeah, I think a lot of teams, there are only a handful of teams that, that submitted the full 60 right away. I think my impression in talking to some different general managers is that they're waiting to see the first round of COVID tests to determine how many players test positive. So if, if, if you find out, you know, three of your outfielders have tested positive and you're not going to have them, you know, you, need, you might want to add a couple of minor league outfielders to that 60-man uh, roster. So I think you're going to see, at least for the first couple of weeks, teams wait and then start adding guys. And if you don't need guys because of corona, you might go back and get some prospects. Even though you might not use them during the season, you'll have a chance to give them a, a development time 
and they can work out in Pawtucket. So, like, for instance, the kid Tristan Cassis, who the Red Sox think is their first baseman of the future, he might get added to the roster just so he can keep working out with coaches instead of sitting at home and, you know, hitting, hitting in his garage or something. Right. And, um, you know, Governor Charlie Baker has been giving these COVID briefings every day. I signed up for the alert, so I get the text, so I know he's been doing them. But he mentioned that professional sports this year will probably take place without spectators. But a couple of weeks ago, a Red Sox president and CEO, Sam Kennedy, on his call initially when baseball came down with the decision to return and they had come to an agreement, said that there may be a possibility that we see fans at Fenway Park at some point this season. You talked about the distance in the uh, press box there. Could you imagine a scenario where we have fans at Fenway? I mean, based, you know, and today was only the first day. I'm, I'm assuming this will get easier and smoother for all of us. I mean, it took a while to get into the park. You know, you, you had to have a form about your, your symptoms and you had to have your temperature taken. You know, there's a security, the whole thing. And even if you're only allowing, you know, say 12,000 people in or 10,000 people in, that's going to take a while. And I think the food is, you know, you, you know people aren't going to be handing beers down the road like that. There's going to be a lot of different things. I don't know that they could get ready for that in a short period of time. And I'm not saying the Red Sox. I think like any team. And it's going to be a while for people having to figure this out. The other thing I was thinking is, you know, it was only a few weeks ago the governor of Florida was like, any pro team who wants to come down here, we're happy to have you. And now Florida's got the most cases in the country. So I think you're going to be careful about opening up things too fast, you know, based on what we've seen in Florida and Texas and Georgia and places like that. Yeah, we've definitely noticed that things, the situation can rapidly change yeah. this coronavirus. Um, one week you can be saying this, and then the next week you completely flip course there. So everything's really up in the air and everybody's just kind of trying to roll with it as best as they can. But uh, Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe, we truly appreciate having you on. I know you're excited to be back out at Fenway. Uh, good luck the rest of the day and the, the rest of summer camp. Breaking news. I just saw Jason Veritek on the field. So hey. Look at that. We get some breaking yeah. news yeah. on the after hours yeah. pie. Yeah, the captain is on the field. He's, he's walking out with a bag with a bucket of balls. So there you go. <laughs> Love That's it. Fantastic. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Thanks. Let's get over to the NFL. Washington Redskins owner Dan Snyder being pressured by sponsors to change the team name. This is a long, ongoing debate that we've seen for years. There's been petitions. There's been push at, you know, legislation level to get, to get them to try to change the name. And he's, you know, holding firm to the team name. Um, but on Thursday, FedEx, which owns the naming rights to the stadium and a deal that runs for many more years, renewed this long time debate, requesting that they change the name. Then Nike, they removed all the Redskins gear from their website. That's Those right. two companies, along with PepsiCo, each received letters from 87 investment firms and shareholders worth a combined $620 million, asking to sever ties with the team until the name is changed. Federal officials are adding to it as well. Apparently, you know, the Redskins, they want to move their location back into D.C., but the officials there are saying that the name must change if they want to do that. Um, so opening thoughts, Jemai. I think, uh, I think it's long overdue. Like you mentioned, Celia, this has been a battle about the team for several years now. And Dan Snyder, the team owner has held firm on this. And you think about uh, what the Cleveland Indians did just down the road. Obviously they've had some pressure for the name change, but they've actually made steps in the positive direction and not using the Chief Wahoo logo anymore. So this has been something that's been years in the making. And I think now with this 
sponsorship pressure because you got the money now being affected. Mm -hmm. It'll make some changes, I think. Yeah. Uh, down you're the hitting road. them where it hurts the most, and <laughs> you're gonna cave. He hasn't caved to this point, but now they're going after their sponsors. I, I think it's 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 gonna change. Do you believe he'll cave this time? I think so. I think so. Um, and he's more one of the one of the more stubborn owners yes. uh, in the NFL that we've seen kind of marching to the beat of his drum and, and handling things how he sees fit. I know it has, you know, the historical context and, you know, I can't quote directly some of the comments that he's had in the past, but, you know, he looks at it as uh, sort of a pride, but, you know, you cannot in this day and age, 2020, considering everything that's gone down um, yeah. in terms of, uh, racial equality and um justice for people of color and uh kind of leveling the playing field you cannot have a professional sports team named after an ethnic group that is widely exaggerated in looks and things like that you know it, it's one of those things that just it's unacceptable now so you just have to kind of conform to the times and, and make the change I, I honestly look at this kind of like the Confederate flag debate. And I put that in quotations because it, it's not a debate. I mean, if you're sit, sitting there saying, you know, my history and my heritage, that's not a, that, that's not even a debate. That's, that's a non-starter there. If you're going to even try to have that as your reason why you want to uphold the Confederate flag, but the same thing with the Redskins, it's like, your heritage, your history with, you know, I've loved them as the Redskins. I've always known them the Redskins. Like, change is not that hard. We're, it's really not that hard. Um, also, at this point, why not do a rebrand? Your team hasn't won in 30 years. Um, I'm not even going to debate the name. The, the name, is, is, it's, ter it's terrible. It's derogatory. It, it reinforces terrible stereotypes of Native American people. Um, the logo in itself is exaggerated, like you said. Um, it's just, I don't think you can even make this a debate anymore. You just make the change. Um, and then you can focus on football because this has been such a conversation for so long that it detracts from what you're trying to do as an organization. So go ahead, change the name, um, you know, get your fans re-energized, excited about something new, something fresh. Um, I don't think you lose anything by changing the name. And, and also there's been so many teams across all sports who have change their names and you know the world didn't end right. so they, they need to do this now like if they haven't been able to do it before they should have done it before but now is definitely the time to get this done right and you talked about it I mean having an opportunity to get your fan base re-energized excited about something uh I have to look it up but I think they won two games last year uh, garbage. two and fourteen, something like that. Absolutely garbage. Um, so this team has been in the bottom of the NFC East, while the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys and the Giants even have been competing for division titles and going on to do better things than they have. So, um, you know, Ron Rivera's in there, one of the few, one of the four uh, coaches of color in the organization in the National Football League. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a real opportunity to maybe, hey. Let's get the fans involved. People in yeah. the D.C. metro area, come up with a name. Let's become the Washington Senators. Bring that back. Let's steal that from the Nationals because they seem to have their own <laughs> identity now. Let's do something that everybody can feel is all-inclusive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, keeping it with football, though, the NFL is expected to play Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is known as the Black Anthem, before every week one football game this year. Not every game, just week one. Uh, thoughts, Jemai? I think this is... 
I mean, it's, it's feels, you know, the NFL has been trying to really, really do something. And I feel like it's well-intentioned, but this is not the change that no. the black players want to see. You know, we don't want to see, it's not even the official black national anthem as uh, let's just make that clear. Right. Okay. There is no official black national anthem. This is commonly known as that yes. because of the lyrics and the uplifting spirit that it has. Most black people know it. I know the song. I've sung it before, but this is not something I don't want to see at NFL. I want to see changes within the system. I want to see black executives. I want to see black head coaches. I want to see black assistants get an opportunity. I don't want to see a song to just highlight uh, that, hey, this is black acceptance now. I think, you know, they missed the mark here. But I understand they're trying. But this is one of those things where how you change the system. If you have more black people behind there, the decision makers, they could have told you and been opposition to this idea that, hey, maybe this is not the greatest thing we should do with our first, uh, you know, uh, first reach across the aisle, so to speak, to create this inclusiveness for everybody. We don't want it's a song. Minimal. It's very we minimal. A lot of these actions just almost seem like you're just blowing hot air. Exactly. And they can start by bringing Kaepernick back into the league. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be, I mean, that'll be a like, all right, yeah, we're on board this time. Yeah, no, I, I, we, we're seeing a lot of actions like this. And I think the intention behind it is good. But like you said, it, it's really not enough. It's not the, the systemic change that we want to see. It's, it's, you know, scratching the surface. They need to go right. deeper, deeper than that. Even if it's hard, you got to try to go deeper than that. Um, but earlier this week, the NFL, every single national network, especially in sports, was talking nothing about New England because of two <laughs> things. Cam Newton and the punishments brought down from the league on the team related to the videotaping incident at the Browns Bengals game in last December. So all those things, we're gonna talk about those two things here. Uh, let's talk about the punishments first. So a $1.1 million fine, they lose a 2021 third round draft pick. They cannot film any games in 2020. The higher ups have to go through some courses of, you know, just protocols. Um, but I wanna get your thoughts, but first here's our NFL insider, Michael Lombardi with his thoughts on the punishments. My initial reaction to the Patriot penalty is really like, again, I mean, the reality of the situation is what benefit were they getting by taping it other than they were using it for a television show? And I think it's once again that the league office overreacts to something that happens in New England because everyone's trying to justify why they've been so successful. For me, unfortunately, the deflate gate took, around, took away a first round pick and this takes away a third round pick plus 1.1 million. I don't think it's justified, but the one thing about the league, once you get a reputation, they're going to come down hard because the other 31 owners want to make sure that they see justice being done, even though there was nothing done. Now, Matt Chatham, our homeboy over at Nesson, Patriots insider, former Patriots uh, special teamer, defenseman, three-time Super Bowl champion. He was even more upset about this. He went absolutely off on Sunday on after hours uh, on Nesson about you know how ridiculous this is and I forget what he called the NFL he didn't call it the no fun league he called he called them something else but uh I mean he he believes the video guy made a mistake and had no bad intentions and that the NFL ruined his life over this and that this is just you know complete crap um 
So your thoughts when these punishments came out, your, your thoughts on them? I think I'm in line with what Matt had to say. I'm in line with what Michael Lombardi had to say. I mean, this guy is essentially equivalent to being, you know, uh, just a lower level individual. Like he has no connection to the executives, no connection to the football operations. He gave 17 years for Kraft Productions and for them to put him out to dry, dangle him in front of the NFL, which, you know, I don't know if this is what they did, but, you know, they did fire him. So I guess it was on them. And he's already been banned for, the, for, for a year. And now, um, as you said, his life is ruined. He gave this so much to it. And now he's got kind of this stigma on him, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I, I will say when you see someone who nobody knows of, really, unless you're in the business and you work with the Patriots and you're around the team, you, you, I mean, you have no clue who this guy is. So you're, you're casting him out and uh, for something that's so minor. Um, but the problem with the Patriots that they're going to have to deal with forever is this, their image right now. And they've had all the gates. And it, if you do one little thing, even if it's small, it would be like a non-issue with all the other teams. It gets blown up because you're the Patriots, because you've already been in trouble before. So it's, it's just unfortunate. Um, the, the draft pick, the loss of that is huge, but there's a chance that they could get it back. And That's right. There's a caveat there. Here's where Cam Newton comes into the conversation. <laughs> so along with him, uh, if he plays and walks in a year, the Patriots will get a 2022 third round draft pick. So they can get it back here with this whole Cam Newton deal. And it's, there's no coincidence at all, right? That these two stories came out around the same exact time. No <laughs> coincidence at all. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think the league knew what they were doing. You know, they try to stomp on the Patriots uh, parade as much as they can, but man, the Cam Newton signing is massive. Love it. I me. love it. I don't know about you, but I love it. Oh, 100%. You know, we talked about this quite a bit. We had, you know, this debate inside the newsroom about Cam's addition and what this means. But I think, you know, and I have watched literally, I've watched Cam Newton since he was in junior college. My first job was in College Station, Texas. Blend Junior College is in Brenham, Texas, about 25 minutes away. And we did stories with Cam. We covered that team. And I'm telling you, since then, to the point, you know, he's been in the NFL now almost a decade. Every time he steps on the field, in my mind, he has been the best player. He's consistent. No, hands he's had down. his mistakes. But I have watched him be excellent literally from junior college to when he was at Auburn because we covered him because of his connections to the local area, still being in Texas, um, and then going on to, to have nine years in Carolina. Like, we were looking at his numbers last night. In 2018, he played in 14 games. He was on par to have the best completion percentage he had. I'm talking Tom Brady-level accuracy, almost 70%. And he was also on par to have the best, um, the best touchdowns he had comparative to his uh, MVP season. So I think people are forgetting the fact this dude is 31 years old, coming Don't off some done. injuries, yes. But he's a young quarterback. He's coming into a system, and now he has what Matt loved about him, a massive chip on his shoulder. He mm -hmm. said last night or a couple nights ago uh, on Instagram, this is not about the money. It's about respect. And I think that is going to drive him. I think that's going to be fantastic. I think he wins the job at quarterback. I think this also gives the Patriots an opportunity to have Jared Stidham sit back one more year. And who knows, if he does well, 
franchise tag him the next year and then maybe work out a long-term deal. It's, it's, no, all, it's, it's all in favor perfect. of the Patriots, I think. This is literally perfect. This could not get more perfect for the Patriots organization. And when this came down, I was just like, Bell! Like, he did it again. <laughs> he was just like a mastermind, a freaking wizard. Like, this deal is, it's a steal, one. But like you said, people are like, well, pay camp. He's, he's worth it. He's worth it. Cam agreed to these terms because he does kind of have to, you know, prove himself again. He has to, you know, it's about earning the respect back, right. like you said, from that Instagram post. Um, I mean, nobody is a loser here in this, in this equation. Cam gets to come and be in the Patriot system, which historically has been great over the last two decades. Um, I see no issue with him getting used to the Patriot way. I know there's a lot of talk about the personality, you know, how, are, how is he going to adjust? You know, the, are they going to let him be him? Like, there's going to be no issue there. Like, I, I don't even know why that's a conversation. They're going to let Cam be Cam. Bill Belichick likes his guys to celebrate and be happy with their accomplishments. Right. So I, I don't even know why that's a conversation. But if we can get... I'll tell you why it's a conversation. <laughs> but that's a, that may be a whole other podcast. No, no. <laughs> Please. I know. Uh, go ahead. I want... I, uh, yes, it needs I, to be I think said. there's certainly a double standard. You know, we yes. saw some of the comments that went on for some Boston radio hosts um, that became a national story talking about, you know, Cam celebration, as you just alluded to. But we had Donovan McNabb on After Hours uh, last night, and that's going to be a part of a conversation that he discusses more today, so look out for that. But he talked about the double standard with the black quarterbacks. Like, you don't see this coming up when other guys are being signed. Were they talking about, you know, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm slipping the name, uh, Nick Foles' celebration when he was signed as a free agent? Were they talking about any of these other guys? Did they talk about – you know, their accomplishments? No, they don't. They talk about just strictly football, but because Cam brings something that was transcendent to the position. He brings personality, something we haven't seen before. They want to critique him. And, you know, it was disgusting to hear them say, you know, just shut up and go to the next snap. It was like the, the shut up and dribble thing that's out there. I think players, as there's, you know, there's been a clip circulating about um, Bill Belichick saying he wants his players to celebrate. Yeah, he wants them that's to do what it I was referencing. because yep. it – it just dejects their opponents. So it's completely opposite to what's actually going on inside the building, most importantly, but that's talk radio. Like you throw things against the wall and see if it sticks, but it also, to me, seems to show this level of prejudice. And it's I think there. you have to recognize that. So no. yeah, it's this double standard that has been going against black quarterbacks for, for quite some time. Um, and it's unfortunate because it detracts from what he has done historically. You've never heard any issues of leadership in Carolina. You never heard any issues uh, with teammates. Nobody's come out and said anything about this. When it was yeah, announced, matter of fact, you see all, right here. Yeah, when it was announced, you see all of his teammates so happy for Cam. He's going to do a great opportunity. Nobody's saying anything negative. It didn't detract from anything he did on the football field. Because it rubbed you the wrong way, that's a different story. But it's not something that you should be placing on somebody and tarnishing his name before he's even played a snap. Yeah, I mean, he's... I'm really hoping we get that 2015 cam. And honestly, if you've seen all these videos that he's been posting, he looks damn good. He looks in shape. Obviously, this chip on his shoulder, he's ready to go. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Um, I know Josh McDaniels is really excited to see what he brings to the table. Like, Can you imagine the different looks that we're going to see from this Patriots offense? Because I, I honestly do believe he's going to be – 
week one starter. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. I think he's going to be the week one starter. I don't think he's going to be used in certain play packages, you know, like, uh, you know, just thrown in there occasionally. Gimmicky, I think right? he's going to legit be there. Yeah. I mean, and you mentioned it aside from, uh, Michael Lombardi being pissed and, and upset about, you know, some of these things that have been said about Cam and about the, uh, yeah. about the punishments coming down on the Patriots. He also believes that this is going to open up the floodgates not taking anything away from Tom Brady. Obviously great, but you certainly yeah. understand that he has a completely different skill set. He's more dink and dunk, as Donovan pointed out to us. And, you know, Cam can, you know, has a stronger arm probably at this stage in his career and can get it down the field. He also has the threat of running and opening up this lanes. There's also been some video going around kind of on social media about, you know, the overhead film, the all 22 is what they call it. And a lot of people, analysts out there have been pointing to that as – um, how much they can stick to uh, different defenses, how much they have to kind of respect his abilities. So you think about historically, Brady's been the quarterback for the last 20 years. Before that, you know, it was Drew Bledsoe. And before mm -hmm. that, you know, somebody else probably had to come and tell me who was the quarterback before them. But no, <laughs> nobody's been like Cam Newton. I can't go back 30 years. I <laughs> want Patriots history. Uh, but, you know, Cam Newton is something that nobody has ever seen. It was Steve Gorgon. Uh, thank you to our producer here, Fred Nutter, uh, for that. <laughs> but Steve Gorgon is no Cam Newton. That's the point I'm no, trying to make. Not even close. I mean, I the excitement level in New England jumped a thousand percent when the, the, the news came down about Cam Newton. It's, it's wild because he can do so much damage on his feet, and he is a big man. Like, oh, my this goodness. He's not a little, little guy. This is a big man. I'm telling you, I should say Steve Grogan, not Gorgon, uh, but I was too excited. But um, <laughs> Cam Newton is a massive human being, and that's another thing. Like, I don't think people understand. This dude is huge. Like, there's few people in the NFL that I've been next to where I've been like, wow, you are actually dwarfing me. And I'm 6'2". You're, you're not 200 pounds. either, man. <laughs> and Cam is massive. It's, 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 the, the list is this for me. It's Cam Newton. It's Megatron, Calvin Johnson, a massive human being. It's J.J. Watt as well. And it's even Big Ben, ben Roethlisberger. Big Ben for a reason, too. He's another big quarterback. If people have never seen these people in person, it's unreal. And you think about even last year when I seen Derrick Henry for the playoffs. It's Cute. like, dude, how are you tackling this man? This dude is massive. <laughs> I'm afraid. How do you tackle someone that big? It's ridiculous. And I think that also is going to be a great addition and a great, you know, um, plus for the Patriots, because I mean, this dude is massive. I'm telling you, he's got tree yeah. trunk legs. I mean, I, I, I know that the, there's a lot of players because we've seen them post about it. They're excited about him. He's going to bring a, a, a different look. Obviously, the Patriots have never had a quarterback like him. So this is going to be very awesome to see unfold. You just hope that he's healthy. Um, and like you said, Jared Stidham, this benefits him because he can learn from another MVP. I mean, who doesn't want to have more mentors to look up to more people to pick their brains. Um, it gives them another year to develop. You got Brian Hoyer who knows the system as well. So you've got a great crew of quarterbacks in that room. The Patriots, obviously losing Tom Brady is, is massive. You, yeah. uh, Tom Brady's the goat, but what you have right now, you still have to be pretty excited about that. I think so. And that's going to be something people will be looking forward to. We just hope that this season gets played. Most importantly, I hope football is okay because I would love to see this product. I think Cam improves the team quite a bit.
because people have been sleeping on them. Obviously, like you said, Tom Brady's massive departure is, is going to hurt. But you bring another MVP caliber uh, player in with the defense, who's also had his losses, but still in elite defense. Mm-hmm. The offense has its, you know, run and gun talent um, and their abilities. If everybody's healthy, you got to feel like this is another year where they, they take the AFC East and, and go on to do even more potentially because um, I think Buffalo probably is the biggest threat. And uh, as Michael Lombardi continues to love to point out, Josh Allen has to prove to us that he can be accurate when he throws a football before they're really a threat. So uh, I like the Patriots. I like them a lot. But yeah, uh, looking forward to this weekend. Jemai, I appreciate you coming on and and helping us out. Emerson's, um, their family right now is dealing with a tough loss of their dog, Rufus. Yeah. Uh, Really tough news to hear that. And we're thinking of you um, and your wife, Meg. Uh, We love you guys. Um, So... Send them a, a wish uh, if you can, you know, your your, your best intentions, um, your thoughts and prayers to, to their family right now. But, Jamai, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you guys have a safe weekend, 4th of July weekend. That's going to do it for us here on the After Hours Podcast presented by People's United Bank. See you next time.